0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Zendium, the toothpaste that takes care of your mouth and your body. Hello, hi, and welcome to the Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this episode, I am joined by Pete Williams from Functional Medicine Associates, and he's joining me to talk about the mouth body connection. What is that, you may ask? I asked the same question, which is exactly why I was interested to chat to Pete on an episode of the show, because more and more scientific research and data is emerging that would suggest that this mouth-body connection, and by that I mean the balance of our oral microbiome and how that impacts the rest of the body, is hugely important in how we should be looking after ourselves. But where do we begin? Well, Pete is going to take us on a guided tour of our mouths, oral microbiomes, our bacteria balance, and present his take on some of the more recent findings that suggest maintaining a healthy balance of bacteria in our mouth can have a huge impact on our overall health. So let's get to it. Joining me on this special episode of the show brought to you by Zendium Toothpaste, it's Pete Williams from Functional Medicine Associates. So... Listeners, as I have mentioned, I am joined by Pete Williams, who is the founder of Functional Medicine Associates. And the reason why we are having a conversation today is to talk about a little thing called the mouth-body connection. Now, when I first started to read up on this, and first started chatting to Pete. Hello, Pete, by the way. Good morning. I, um, I said, well, the last thing I want to do is give my listeners something else to worry about because we've covered gut health, and we've talked about various other things that can affect overall health on this podcast. But actually, the mouth-body connection is really, may I put words into your mouth and say, the future of medicine and really something that we're beginning to understand now, but is going to play a huge part, you think, in how we look after ourselves moving forward.
2: I do. I think the next two decades are going to be defined by our relationship with bacteria and our microbes. So I think this is uh, another important aspect of, of understanding what happens in the mouth also affects the rest of the body.
1: And why is the mouth, why is the, mouth the gateway for want of a better expression? Obviously, we've had uh, Megan uh, Rossi sure. on the podcast yeah. and she's talked about the importance of the microbiome and microbiome data. Or yeah. I can't even get the word right because I'm not a scientist. Well, I think <laughs> even our scientists
2: are really struggling with um, just the amount of emerging data that's coming out and trying mm. to keep up with it. So it's probably easy to take a little step back and and understand that actually probably what what is a human uh, and what we've gone on to find is that... Um,
1: Blimey, that's very philosophical. Yeah,
2: well, I, I think it's always good to put things in context because it's probably easier to understand f- from that perspective. And what we've gone on to find is that humans are a combination... We call them a superorganism, or there's a word for it, a new word called holobiont And uh, a holobiont is a, a sort of... Um, group of group of different species that sort of co inhabit for the benefit of both, mm-hmm. and so what we 've gone on to find is that humans are a combination of of human cells we um, 're actually more we 're more bacteria as well okay. so so what we 're trying to do is make sure that we keep our bacteria happy and mm-hmm. they will keep our human cells happy and vice versa and so we're pretty much getting to the point where I think there isn't any aspect of our anatomy or physiology where bacteria don't exist. Okay. So, and the, and the mouth being probably the the second most important um, area from a point of view of bacterial species, we think. Around and the
1: first being the gut.
2: Well. This is the question because if when you think about it, the mouth and the gut are completely connected. Mm-hmm. It, it's one tube that starts at the mouth mm-hmm. and finishes at your bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see them... This is the whole thing about trying to bring the connectiveness of how it all fits mm-hmm. together. Because it's, uh, it's in a sense a 30-foot tube, mm-hmm. um, but it's a really, really vital tube from a point of view of how certain um, immunologists would, would discuss it. It, it. it is the tube where most of our immune system sits. I think Megan might have mentioned that. Mm-hmm. We think of so maybe two-thirds of our immune system.
1: And that's really your defense mechanism, it's, it,
2: right? it It really is. And, and I always say to people, it, it's where us as humans do most of our talking to the outside world. Um,
1: Elaborate on that, please, Pete. Well,
2: the reason why most of our immune, our immune system is designed to protect us. hmm um, and there is a reason why two thirds of it lines, uh, if you like, the gastro- gastrointestinal tract right from the mouth, right, right to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's because it does, it's the sort of interface. It's the biggest surface area that actually talks to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So here's a, another crazy thing to think about is that the, 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 gastrointestinal tract by physiology is really not inside the body because if we, if we, Pulled someone all up thirty foot long, we'd be able to see a tube right from the mouth right to the bottom. Mm. But in, in a sense, the surface area of that is about as big as a tennis court, so it's a massive sur- surface area. And in many ways, it, it's a bit like making sure that we keep our borders well protected mm. from the outside world. Mm. And so that's why most of the immune system sits there. Um, predominantly, as Megan would have would, would talked about, we tend to see Listeners, most. This
1: is Megan Rossi, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about gut health.
2: We we see most of the bacteria within the large intestine and, and colon, mm-hmm. um, but we we do uh, so far seem to think that um, the sort of second most important place is the mouth.
1: And is that because, for want of a better expression, it's more porous because it's open and because. Foreign objects are constantly being thrown into it.
2: I, well, again, I think it's always it's always important to, to let your um, listeners understand that. Even as scientists, when the the amount of evidence that is coming out, and also the amount of, I suppose, our understanding of the human body that we, we actually really do understand, mm. is really so small, is that we're always trying to pay catch up. Mm. What what I w- what I would what I would to say to, to what you've 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 just said, um, is that the bacteria are coexisting; they are us, and we are them. Mm. So it's something that we we carry around with us and. What we want to, uh, uh, again, make sure is that they do a really good job for us Mm -hmm. and then they will look after us. That's one of their roles. Um, But we also need to look after them. And so this is when we start thinking about um, maybe the the food choices that we make. Mm -hmm. Are they the appropriate food choices that allow our bacterial communities, particularly in the mouth, um, to flourish? Mm -hmm. And if they flourish, they keep everything under control and healthy for us so that...
1: So they keep your borders tight.
2: They do. Right. And, um, and there are uh, many aspects, I think, if we talk about why, and I think I think you said it right at the beginning, which was really nicely said, is that the mouth, for, for, for many reasons, is, a, is potentially a, a window to what's happening in the body. And it really is a question of bacteria, microbes, mm-hmm. um, but it really is a question of are we keeping our borders tight Mm. and controlled. um, Because if we don't, then that has potential implications to um, various other diseases and disorders. Mm. And and this is, on very simple terms, where much of the research has gone with regards to um, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, um, dementia, um, Alzheimer's, were it is a in in one aspect of what is a, is an associated risk is a breakdown of borders mm. um and there are reasons and implications why that happens it's a change in um bacterial communities um for many reasons um i think we are living in a in a time where it's probably inappropriate to really have optimal health it's very very difficult to have optimal health um because of the the stress and the time pressures that we are under um, and the dietary changes, et cetera. These all have huge impl- impl- implications on what happens both in the mouth but but um, more systemically both in the, in the human body as well.
1: And you said a minute ago about you're playing catch-up um, in terms of understanding, but yeah. you also said right at the top of the podcast that the next 20 years is probably going to be dominated by what this catching up has done in terms of discovering this balance between the bacteria and how that affects overall health?
2: I don't think we'll ever catch up, I think, is the answer. Um, he, I, he, I think the human body is so fantastically complex. We're always going to be playing catch up. Okay. Where I think we are understanding, um, and a lot of this is because of how, um, how well we've done with regards to producing new technology, we're getting a much better idea of our relationships are our, our coexistence mm. um, with bacteria
1: so a word that we've used a lot on this podcast is the microbiome sure. so does that is that the kind of catch all term for our bacterial border
2: well, I think the microbiome is is from my understanding is um, the communities of bacteria that we have, mm-hmm. and we'll have In general, probably the easiest way I would probably like to say to the the people that we look after. It's a question of um, overall we want to make sure that we've got bacterial species and communities that are on the whole helpful for us. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean to say that there aren't bacteria that we'll hold that um, can potentially be troublesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course we've all been on holiday and, and had... Um, the classical deli belly diarrhea, mm-hmm. which is clearly a, uh, being exposed to bacteria that's really not good for us. Right. Um, but on the whole, as, as as we go through life, we're trying to make sure that we've got. Um, and again, Megan mentioned this: is that we're, we're trying to. I, I try to talk to again talk to people from a point of view of we're trying to get as as diverse a community of bacteria as possible. The sort of the more diverse. We, we think at the moment the healthier that community is.
1: Okay. I don't think in all my years as a health and beauty writer that I've really heard the term bacteria used in the way that we're using it today in the sense of, oh, I need to be mindful of what my bacterial communities are up to or I don't know if my bacterial communities are healthy. Um, but it is something that we can, can affect by our behavior and life choices for the better without having to do anything particularly massive right
2: sure sure what are some
1: of those ways
2: um well i think if if i go back to your your first point um we are only just moving into this understanding of just how important our existence is Mm. and i'll reiterate what i said right at the beginning is that humans are super organisms. Mm. So the health of us is dependent on the health of our bacteria. And um, we will get quite a few um, people who come to see us who um, present with um, microbiomes or bacterial balances that are completely um, not healthy for them, if you like. And it's a question of helping them Mm. to help their bacteria to get better. And then Mm. that helps the whole of us. So... What are some of the simple things that um, that we can do that, that we know, again, through the science, is, is helpful? And do you want me to give you some examples from a point of view of how directly it influences the, the mouth?
1: Well, I yeah, let's go back to the mouth and let's talk specifically about the oral microbiome sure. because that's what's really crucial here. Yeah, is we have a balance of bacteria in our mouths, good and bad. Yeah, and I guess if anyone brushes their teeth. I mean, I was saying to you earlier, if I said to 100 people, why do you brush your teeth? You'd say to clean them, to get away, you know, to yeah. get get rid of food debris. But I don't know if anyone would necessarily use the term to get rid of bad bacteria.
2: No, probably not. But um, as you say, I think we are emerging into that world where we are going to have to look after our friends from mm. the point of view, the bacterial aspects. So... Uh, there is a there is a combination that the, the bacteria. What we what we want to to happen is that we want healthy bacteria, and they eg- exist on surfaces such as our teeth, mm-hmm. um, but also um, around the gums um, and, and the tongue, etc. And um, what we what we're looking for is is that the, the the bacteria to to look after everything. It's sort of do the cleaning, keep everything clean, fight off invaders, etc. Um, and so and we can do that in many ways and. I'll just give you some examples mm-hmm. of which is unfortunate from a point of view of the big picture. Stress plays a huge mm-hmm. part on potentially how we, um, how we can sometimes change that balance. And I'll give you an example of um, how you feel just before you start the podcast. For, for me, the first thing that went is that I needed a drink. Mm-hmm. And that is because the, when, when we get stressed, we, we, we start to influence and reduce the amount of saliva we make. Now what we've gone on to find, again, this is, again, I always say to, there is always, there is always a deeper and deeper hole of understanding. And, um, and Emma, I'll be absolutely clear with you. Five years ago, again, as someone who um, is a specialist in understanding how everything fits together, I was pretty much the same, knew very little about this aspect mm-hmm. of, um, of of physiology and, uh, and um, of bacteria. Um, but,
1: this is something that functional medicine associates have put quite a lot of time and effort into research.
2: We have. And, um, I would say that was because that was a, a very, a very personal journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started five years ago when I was 45, um, just turned 50. So
1: you look great.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and it really was a question of, again, there is, I suppose there's only, you never stop learning. There's only so much you can, mm. you can learn, um, regardless of, you know, how, how much you read. Um, and mine started with a, a back tooth of mine that became a bit of a problem. So I was always proud of um, my ability to look after my teeth, went to the dentist regular, uh, went to hygienist regular. But this tooth was a bit problematic, so went to a local dentist, and she said, that tooth's going to have to come out, Mr. Williams. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, I said, well, why is it? And she said, well, it's quite normal with someone with periodontal um, disease. And, of course, um, talk about, uh, for someone who thinks he knows what he's talking about, um, as far as a massive ego hit for me, I said, what do you mean I've got periodontal disease? And she said, well, Mr. Williams, you know, you're 45 and um, a significant proportion of the population will develop periodontal um, disorders or diseases, you know, as they get into their fourth and fifth decades. And
1: is that... For want of a better description, is that gum disease? Is that like yeah, bleed? yeah?
2: It's a it's a it's a description. Sorry, it's a description mm-hmm. for. Um, gum disease for receding gums for stuff like um, gingivitis or Mm. bleeding gums would be a a really good example of that and of course I was completely shocked you know because you know how can that happen to me I can't believe it Mm. but that was my that was my first inroads five years ago straight onto PubMed which is where you look at all the science and lo and behold there's a massive new section on the understanding of what drives um, sort of gum disease and so that was something that we followed the research for about four or five years and then started implementing it both with, within the practice with with a lot of our patients and the reason why we implicated that is because um, we had many patients that um, the periodontal disease was an associated risk with the um, other disorders that they were originally coming to see us
1: now, this is where it gets really interesting, and this is where we understand that the mouth body connection is totally, totally real. Because is periodontal disease an inflammation?
2: Yeah. So there are, I suppose, two major aspects to think about. Um, number one is that um, many humans will have some genetics that predispose them to periodontal disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of them, um, and we actually test this at, at work with with, with uh, people, uh, and they tend to be the inflammatory-led genes. But what we're learning about inflammation, and, and, and remember, inflammation, is it's all a question of <clears throat> modulating and controlling many aspects of physiology, mm. because inflammation is absolutely crucial for renewal.
1: Oh.
2: It's a question of when it gets out of hand for too long or um, too much that it becomes a problem. Okay. So, um, what we know is that um, the, the genetic, and we, we, as you say, you can it doesn't seem to be anything you can't test for these days. You can test individuals, susceptible individuals, to see whether they have susceptible genetics mm-hmm. lo- localized um, to the mouth. Um, and so, inflammation is a is a major part of, our, of the development of periodontal um, gum disease. Um, but also the development of most of the chronic diseases that we know. So cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, um, dementia. Mm. And that's because they are all underpinned by excess inflammation over time. Right. So that's where the link comes. Um,
1: So a bleeding gum is actually a sign of, there might be something else going on, darling.
2: (laughs) I think bleeding gums are a really great warning sign for our listeners, for sure. Mm. Um, and um, what's quite interesting, bacteria—they've been around for billions of years. Most, I think, where the science is going is that they're probably more in control of us than, than we are in control of ourselves. And Crikey. and be and, and and because of that, um, certain certain. Um, bad bacteria in the mouth they love iron and that's one of the mechanisms of why our gums bleed the pathogenic bacteria promote our gums to bleed because they can they can increase in numbers by taking the iron from the blood and so that's one of the interesting things about certain toothpaste and this is what zendium does Mm. and so what we're seeing um with, with Zendium as a toothpaste, is that one of the one of the um, proteins that they've one of the natural proteins that, um, and this is one of the natural proteins that the body secretes to try and protect itself, um, called lactoferrin. um is um, is one of the natural proteins that tries to stop the gums from bleeding because if the gums stop bleeding, the bacterial sort of food supply stops.
1: And so, also you, you're vulnerable because your mouth is porous?
2: Yes. And, the... so, and so bleeding gums, two things to think about. Number one, that um, the iron from, from the blood um, is a bit like fuel injection for bacteria to grow, pathogenic. Mm-hmm. But also bleeding gums is a sign of a border that is, that is broken,
1: I'm going to come back to I don't want to give people more things to worry about because I'm sure there might be women listening to this, especially who maybe take an iron supplement. And now they're thinking, oh, hell, now I'm giving bad bacteria fuel and that wasn't my intention. I wanted energy or I. So could you just kind of level that up for listeners?
2: So it's a brilliant question. And I think um, what you've just done there, Mary, is classical systems thinking. So well yeah because that's the way we have to think is that um are is there a consequence of giving someone something like iron mm. that actually may be detrimental um to the patient yes that we might have a patient who is um, anemic um but they could be anemic because bacteria st- are stealing some of the iron that would definitely be one of the mechanisms that is going on so you you continue to feed them external, external iron, and it actually doesn't solve the anemia.
1: So actually, if somebody comes to you and is anemic, this is a hypothetical, rather than give them iron, it could be like, well, let's just try and balance your oral microbiome, and that could help with the problem, because the iron wouldn't be being leached from their blood.
2: So, as, yes, I, th- I think that's Roughly theoretically. Speaking. So whenever a patient comes, um, our role is to sort of to try and put all their potential theories and mechanisms that Mm. may may happen. And so we have that consequence, yes, is that um, um, if we have something like um, a bacterial imbalance in the small intestine, those bacteria may continue to proliferate Mm -hmm. because we're feeding them iron from an iron supplement. But again, this is the the sort of, um, I suppose, is the understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing and what are the implications of that and that might be a sort of consequence that you may have to suffer because um someone's iron deficient or indeed what it may do is that actually maybe we need to give someone iron that um doesn't go through the gastrointestinal tract and that might be another way of thinking of how you could deliver that but that's that's really great systems thinking from you
1: why thanks, but i I'm not going to ask the question about how you deliver iron without going through the gastrointestinal tract because that's too specific. but the complicated thing here about the mouth is that actually we do need some of that bad bacteria there is some there is a balance
2: yeah, so I always I, there is always going to be a combination of and, and the easiest way to think about it is that we just want more good ones than bad ones but there's always going to be an environment where there may be some potentially pathogenic bacteria. And, this is the, and, and the body does it, it in general has a, usually a, a very stable environment. Um, humans tend to have, and I'll, I'll use the word, very stable microbiomes. How that microbiome gets disturbed over time is the aspects of are we eating an appropriate diet, how stressed we are, I think particularly for the mouth, whether you smoke, mm. um, that's a, it's quite a major play with regards to the development of gum disease. Um, and medications actually can be a real problem mm. um, from a point of view of the change in the bacterial balance because uh, well, there are certainly many medications that um, reduce the ability for for people to produce saliva. And mm-hmm. again, talking about what we're starting to understand and learn about saliva is incredible. I mean... We're even noting that there are over um, three thousand proteins involved in, in in saliva that are all doing some degree of protective job for us.
1: So they're not just breaking. They're not just the first stage of breaking down our food.
2: Um, well, they do many things, and they 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 have lots of um, enzymes that allow us to break our foods down, mm-hmm. which is crucially important. And I think the bigger picture on that is that. We live in such a time pressured society that we don't spend enough time in the process mm. of, of chewing our foods, allowing mm. us to live together. And that's a major problem. And um, I don't know whether Megan mentioned it, but one of the issues around um, why the immune system may not like um, and certain foods is because we've not broken them down mm. into the basic structures where the immune system that is sitting on the outside of that gastrointestinal wall goes yeah you I know you you're friendly you're beneficial for us you can come in mm. and so it's a real problem but again is that because I think one of our biggest issues is where we're so time pressured we don't allow the things that we should allow to happen um, and yes, um, the more stressed we are, definitely from the point of view of medications become a problem. Mm. So saliva is incredibly um, um, protective mm. uh, and just incredibly complex. Again, yeah. they're just uh, you know, over three thousand specialized proteins that are all doing a job for us. They're all sort of the. Uh, Cleaning things, killing things, mm. getting things nice and nice and appropriate. So the bacteria that we want to exist on our teeth and on our gums are are there in appropriate numbers.
1: Now here's another question that I wanted to ask you quickly about um, the oral microbiome. We've talked about border patrol. We've talked about good and bad bacteria. How they both play a really important role. Previously on this podcast, I've spoken to nutritionists and dietitians, and we've talked about. Uh, gut health sure. and we have talked at times about introducing a probiotic or prebiotic directly into the gut sure. in order to facilitate recovery or to optimise that particular environment. If the mouth is the gateway to all of that and is so intrinsically connected, could I not just, is there a way of introducing a pre or probiotic into my mouth to help everything
2: out? Yes, is the answer to probably both. <laughs> and um, there are um, lo- quite a few products out, out there that, that we know that are using um, sus- specific... Yep, let me say that again. Specific <laughs> strains of um, bacteria that are helpful for the mouth. Um,
1: probiotic. But
2: from probiotic, mm-hmm. but there are also toothpaste. And I think Zendium in a way does that, mm-hmm. um, which it is pr- producing, if you like, uh, I suppose we, we would consider it... M- a prebiotic effect by the way it's trying to um, grow and help to grow the commensal bacteria that are beneficial for mm. us
1: okay, so you ultimately, yes, you can introduce it earlier yeah. on in the yeah it's um, not just for it's not just a supplement that you swallow
2: no. Um, but I, again, I, I suppose it's ho- the whole thing is that it's really bringing the mouth back to the body. I think this is what mm-hmm. this conversation is about. And uh, the mouth has started the GI tract, and it really is a window to to everything else that is happening. So we shouldn't really look at it as separate. And and um, you know we should sort to try and think about the the, the mouth and the stomach and the small intestine and the large intestine and the mm-hmm. colon. They're all. They're all one long tube, and they're all related. Yeah. And um, it is the place where, as, as, as we discussed at the beginning, most of the immune system sits there. Mm-hmm. And it, it is really the the central point where we we tag the outside world and understand mm-hmm. what the outside world is doing for us, and, and, and try and control it from there. Yeah. So, so we
1: shouldn't treat them separately.
2: No, I don't. Th- I don't think we should. I, I mean, would we? Would we? I think there is always. Uh, there is always. <coughs> There's always a localised way that we can look at it, but we have to accept that what happens locally has an effect systemically. Mm-hmm. And then what happens systemically can also have a local effect. Mm. So it's that, always that joined up thinking approach. Yeah. Is, is, um, and, and this is definitely where medicine is moving. We're, we're moving to get to the understanding, but how does that fit with everything else?
1: Mm. So the thing that we do every day with our mouths is we eat, we drink, and then I certainly brush my teeth once. Or twi- well twice a day but at the moment it's a lot more because of my business. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm constantly cleaning it yeah. um, and I guess if I thought about well what, what am I trying to achieve when I brush my teeth if I am thinking about bacteria I just want it to be really clean so I'm thinking I'm getting rid of any food debris that's stuck on my teeth I'm um, brushing off anything that might make them look dull or less white but I'm also I guess all toothpaste are antibacterial
2: Probably not all of them. Probably, okay. No.
1: Correct, but...
2: And uh, again, I, I, I suppose we're, I'd like to think that um, more forward-thinking companies are moving into the understanding of um, how what can we learn from the body? Yeah. How does the body naturally protect itself?
1: But what I think I'm trying to get at here is that we can obviously damage that or, or we can impact that balance. And we can actually do it some degree of, not harm, but maybe not optimise it by just brushing and mouthwashing with the purpose of just getting rid of everything. Yeah. Actually, there are choices we can make yep. with our food, with our yes. drink, but also yep. with our oral hygiene products yep. that will optimise that that balance, which means that the gateway to us, our bacterial us, is as strong as it can possibly be. Sure.
2: Um. Um, really well explained. So how I I would look at that is that um, your mouth is full of bacteria. Mm -hmm. And again, this is how, if you like, medicine sort of ebbs and flows from from what it understands at any one time. And of course, 20, 30 years ago, we were, let's get rid of all bacteria. Let's wipe everything away. And of course, that is, again, if we look at some of the... um, what the problems that has caused and some of that, you know, there's the, the hygiene hypothesis, of course, which is um, we've become too clean mm-hmm. and actually bacteria in general are our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, as we've identified a minimum of probably 600 individual species within the mouth. Um, most humans will have somewhere in the in a, a, a degree of maybe 150, 200 individual species there. And what we're really looking for is species that are going, going to, to help us, to mm-hmm. coexist with us, um, that is beneficial for them and beneficial for us.
1: But we're not going, unless we sort of, I don't know, lick a special computer screen every morning, we're not going to know what those are.
2: No, we're not. And, and, and I think the, the key for us is, is that... Um, what are don't, your, what are don't your go symptoms? Listen,
1: don't go licking your computers, listeners.
2: <laughs> so we're, we're always a question. You know, is there something that's going wrong over time? Mm. Are we starting to develop symptoms? Uh, and and that was, as you say, that was completely my st- my mm. story. Is that I didn't think there was any. I used to think I, could, you know, that the way I managed my teeth was great. But but unfortunately, I managed my teeth really well. But I am probably quite genetically susceptible mm. to to issues. And coming into my fifth decade now, that is a process of how. You know I choose to live my life and and you know of course things unfortunately are never ever quite as good as as, as we age yeah. and there is a way that I need to manage and control that knowing that as a as a part of my body that is um is is a bit like a business and I have a a department of that of that body that maybe needs a little bit more help from my Mm -hmm. side. And so it's important that I think about what foods do I eat. Mm -hmm. And again, it's the classical foods that we would know that causes dental caries. Is is that that we're pretty clear that um, diets that are high in refined sugars change the bacterial balance over time. um, And change the 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 bacterial balance to a more acidic nature Mm. um and of course that increases potential bacteria that are not as beneficial for us right and so we've got to think about that it it, you know is one of the best choices that we could ever do is was change the way we we choose to eat our foods from the choices that we make absolutely Mm. Um, and what we're also finding is that there are um uh, foods that contain molecules um there are incredibly good for us so i have an example and incredibly good for the mouth so um olive oil would be one Um, olive oil has these um molecules that um In many ways, um, food um, and molecules from food is information to the body. It talks to our genes and tells it either to do health-promoting things or um, to sort of disease and disorder-promoting things. And obviously, we want more of the first ones. Mm. Um, So stuff like um, olive oil has these um, uh, uh, polyphenols in there. They're a bit like sort of natural antioxidants. They're really helpful for the mouth, and that Mm. would be one example. So changing the diet is really important, of course. Um, And interestingly, um, because I I was looking at understanding humans on a bigger level, we're starting to see professional athletes have a a very much an increased risk of gum disease, um, which is quite interesting because you would think um, at the top level that they would be um, healthier than healthy. And and I think what we're sort of finding about humans is that um, in every aspect of health, sometimes too much too often is not good for us. Um, And that predominantly would be because maybe they are um, having diets that are too high in sugars. They would certainly be having sugar replacement drinks in -hmm. in long activities. Um, But also they are more likely to be um, going through periods of inflammation. Um, which is one one other aspect, And again, they're more likely to probably be dehydrated, which means that they're not producing enough saliva. So if yeah. you think about a professional athlete, you know, maybe something like a marathon runner who's training two or three day, t- hours a day, mm-hmm. there's a chance that for that period, um, the mouth and particularly the gastrointestinal tract as well. It's is, it, vulnerable. It is, yeah. And um, I, I, that's clearly been proven through the science um, that too much too too intensive too often is is definitely a problem
1: i immediately want to to dm uh, johnny mcavoy and david Goggins and tell them to stop doing ultra marathons we must protect them <laughs> i don't know if you know who they are they're amazing incredibly inspirational uh, people who i follow on instagram um but they do run ultra marathons well, well and like.
2: i suppose it's a question of um you can only know what you know at any one time mm. and um we've got to treat Every person is an individual. Mm. So, what, um, and I think sometimes that's a, the difficulty with science is that, you know, we will look at scientific studies um, and how scientific studies try to work things out is they try to look at, you know, what is the, we might take a thousand people, what is the sort of average result that um, a thousand mm. people get? But you'll get many people who are, um, um, get results that are completely away from the average. And so it's important that we, we understand individuals. Um, we understand where they are at any anyway one time with regard to their health. And we have to upset that um, what works for one might not work for someone else. Mm.
1: So one thing that I find really interesting, because we've talked about lifestyle choices, we've talked about diet and all of these, uh, how the, how they can impact on our oral health and our overall health. But what about sleep? Because sleep is when hopefully we go for about eight hours Hopefully, if we're doing all the right things, we go for around eight hours undisturbed and we're in the sleep phase, which is when we know we regenerate. Sure. So I've done various shows on this podcast about insomnia. I have had insomnia. If I am going through a period of interrupted sleep or if I'm not a great sleeper, is my oral microbiome at risk? Because is there a really important rejuvenation, regeneration process that my mouth is missing out on?
2: That's a really good question. So <laughs> I'm going to look at that in a couple of ways. If we, if we look to get optimal sleep, I th- is that going to benefit our body systemically, mm-hmm. including the mouth? I would like to think so. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any um, potential um, 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 conditions that uh, may may help what happens um, or or be detrimental to what happens in the mouth when we're asleep. Uh, I think there's definitely evidence on that. Mm -hmm. So some people who maybe have something like sleep apnea, Mm -hmm. um, that is a consequence of not not just the the mouth, but the the brain um, and the whole body exists on Mm -hmm. a low oxygen state. Um, And uh, people can, unfortunately, mouth breathe as well. Um, at night and that has influences with regards to how we produce saliva and of course uh, I think if we've taken anything from today to just how incredibly protective saliva mm-hmm. is so uh, again in theory and, and, and definitely we, we see it in the science is that um, people who um, maybe um, mouth breathe and don't produce enough saliva, saliva um, at night there's potential that that can change um, the bacterial balance within the mouth yeah for sure.
1: And I guess if you're in an insomnia in the way that I have been, you end up getting up and you watch your iPad and then you play on your phone and you're mouth breathing because, well, I tend to, I think. So, yeah, so I'm just sort of making the point that there probably is a restorative process that happens throughout the entire body and I'm missing out on it. And just and just as much as I might be missing out on it in my energy levels and how I feel the next day, my mouth is also missing out on that
2: too uh it's it, it, it's a, it's a really good question i think that, i think the answer is probably yes and yes mm-hmm. um what is clear is um certainly when we're, we're dealing with people who have recognized sleep apnea what is happening at night is that they are not providing their body with enough oxygen mm-hmm. and so there are some significant consequences of that and so they would be again it's important when when we do our workup with patients who come in and maybe they are um uh, hugely fatigued, They present with maybe um, like a chronic fatigue-like picture. Mm. The first thing we want to understand is that you know, are there any issues when you're asleep? So um, significant and consistent snoring would be one of them. Waking, waking oh, up, crikey. gasping for breath would be uh, would be another would be another potential risk factor. Most people say no, I don't snore, and I would say, well, um, what does your what does your partner say? And they'll usually <laughs> say, um, I have to sleep in the other room. Um, so so yeah, but again, this is very very much joined up thinking mm-hmm. that um, um, something that seems completely separate um, potentially has an influence for sure. So
1: practically speaking, for somebody listening to this podcast, my most excellent listeners, what are the actionable things that they can do? And I, as I said, I keep saying, I don't want to give you another problem to have to no, think sure. about, but I do want to arm you with um, the information that will help you make better choices. What are some of those better choices? I mean, I know you've talked about changing the way you eat, maybe restricting sugar intake. Yeah. Um, but what what else is really practical that somebody could listen to this and, and action immediately?
2: Um, or So I said to someone once that um, regular cleaning of your, of your teeth, going to the dentist and the hygienist, is a bit like the new gym as far as right. what we think... The benefits are going to be right. so. Don't ignore going to dentist and don't ignore going to hygienist. Mm. I think that would probably be a smart thing to do. Um, so that would be number one. And mm-hmm. uh, number number two, yeah, I, I think we're clear about. It's um, probably two things. Um, um, too much sugar, too often, refined sugars, mm. is not is not a great thing for for the bacterial balance and what's happening um, around the gums.
1: So stop pounding bags of Haribo.
2: Um, on a very occasion, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite a fan of the sweet and sour, um, but,
1: fastics, can't go wrong. but you've
2: got, to, you've got to know your place with that for sure. Yeah, yeah, Um, and, um, yeah, so, you know, one of those would be, you know, the, the, the choice of, of, um, dietary input that you'd want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely important. I, I think s- s- smoking is, is, is quite high risk for regards to, um, risk of gum disease and, um,
1: is that true with vaping as well? I know vaping. That's is suddenly... a really good question.
2: Um, I don't know is the answer to that. But okay. um, that's a really good question. Don't know. Um, but I'll, I'll be on PubMed later on. So I'll try and find out. It's a, a really good question. Yeah. I think just being a, a little bit more informed. So um, there's no doubt, again, as I said to you, um, when I came in this morning before we started, mm. um, stress is a huge influence. Mm. Um, because in many ways, what, what the body does is that it prioritizes the stress response um, in, in very simple terms. I think human physiology is geared up for one major thing, and that is let's make sure I'm safe. Let's mm-hmm. make sure my number one priority is that at any one time, any one day, am I safe? And this is why stress is so dominant um, from a point of view, mm-hmm. a sort of physiological mechanism, because its 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 role really, the sort of um, the stress response role is to at any one time, uh, any second of every day, it's am I safe here?
1: But it's mutated so horribly, hasn't it? It has. stress response. Well,
2: and that's because we are, um, we are in a, um, uh, an overstimulated world. Yeah. And, and so um, we never really stop. Mm. Um, but my, my point about what I said this morning is, is that um, even getting ready just before you were mm. micing us up and having a conversation, the saliva production in my mouth was all but gone um and, and that's, that's because, my
1: fault for not giving you at ease well <laughs> I, I think
2: you did a pretty good job but but yeah I mean you know and it's it's funny isn't it that mm-hmm. why would why would we sit here and I would all be getting stressed out because I'm just about to go on a podcast of stuff that I, I know reasonably well
1: when I used to do live tv I used to have to apologize to the people micing me up because I said you're going to have to take it off I need to do a panic wee
2: <laughs> yeah so um being less stressed is, uh, is, is a great thing, but, you know, we will appreciate that. Um, um, and we, we see this with patients all the time is that, is that humans are unconscious products of their environment. Mm. And so it's very difficult to get someone to change if they, um, if their body is responding unconsciously to, to various decision-making. And of course, the more stressed we are, the more likely that, um, we are going to go to a situation where so there's a really nice hypothesis called the unhappy meal hypothesis. Oh, and totally. that well, that, that one says it's a great one because that one is a question of, isn't it isn't it interesting that, uh, that um, I'll give you an example. Imagine we, we're going into a really stressful meeting and we come out of that. You would think that our body in its, in its, in its wisdom would go, OK, so what do I need to do to try and help my body repair? Right, let's go and let's go and have a let's go and have a um, some broccoli, and um, you know we'll have a banana with that as well. And and of course we do the complete opposite. So we go for high sh- high fat, high sugar, mm. um, high salty foods, and you know we sit there after this with a cup of coffee and a Snickers bar. And and this is where we we believe that um, our genes are are interpreting stressful environments as. Times times maybe are going to be hard, so that's
1: the animal brain saying, for some reason, absolutely, you're stressed, yeah, therefore let's do what we do in time yep. of stress, which is absolutely pile on calories, prepare for, <laughs> prepare,
2: prepare for hard times, yeah. And, and so, I think this is a really important point, Amber, because, um, because I know this is a health podcast, but we have to sort of reiterate that message to many of our patients because they start blaming themselves for maybe being a little bit overweight or maybe not having Mm. enough willpower. And as we try to say to them is that you can't blame yourself for your body being in charge and and making unconscious decisions that in in many respects you have no control of. Mm. Um, Because, as you say, humans are a reflection of the environment that they are are in and what the the environment throws back at them is how our human physiology works. Mm. And we're trying to defend ourselves from that. So stress is a major player. Mm. Um, I think so
1: could, could meditating improve your periodontal disease?
2: I think if we... The answer to that is... Uh,
1: I know that's very simplistic, I'm sorry. Well,
2: I, we talked about this about is, is that simplistic... But would we theoretically be able to say, yeah, that may have an influence? Mm. I don't see why not. I certainly being less stressed has an influence Mm. for sure. So if that less stress is is something that occurs because we choose to um, Mm. um, to meditate, then theoretically that makes a lot of sense to me. And you know, it's it's very difficult as humans to come off this. Treadmill of, of of stress, and you know our brains get wired to more and more stressful environments because it's it's saying how do I protect you here, mm. and so that's why it's it's sometimes not easy to to start people into something that is co- the complete opposite. Mm. So what I would say on that is that behavior changes take a lot of time.
1: Yeah, um, an interesting that's made me think about. I was listening to the random show that Tim Ferriss did very recently. And he talks about a book in that which encourages you to, like if someone cuts you up in traffic, rather than let that hit you and then react, let it flow through you in a way where you're not being walked over or taken advantage of. So you just let, so you stop having a stress response, training sure. yourself to stop having a stress response. I'll find the book listeners and I'll put that in the show notes because I think that's a relevant resource to give you at this juncture. Yeah,
2: and, and the conversation that we're having here is is this just in many ways for me a beautiful understanding of of how system bi- systems biology works because yes we're talking about the health of the mouth but our conversation has drifted off to how everything is interconnected how all systems are interconnected and if you help one one system out it's going to help another yeah um and so you're doing a really good job on that
1: one <laughs> thank you so much yeah because we are talking about bacteria balance in the mouth and how you can promote that so that it's the best balance possible to protect you. Sure. But also how other things... It's not just a one-way street. No. If your mouth's in a mess, I'm sorry, things aren't looking good. It's a two-way street and you can do various different things.
2: Yeah. Um Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that.
1: <laughs> that was my last question. Pete, is it a two-way street? And if not, why not? <laughs>
2: <laughs> two-way street as far as...
1: Um You can do things directly to your mouth yes. in order to um, promote the healthiest bacteria balance yep. for your health. But you can also, my question was, will other lifestyle choices yeah, actually ab- have an impact on the mouth?
2: Brilliant question. So the answer to that is absolutely. So, uh, and I think they're probably the easiest way to let's, let's think about um, inflammation as a, as a, um, really big driver of chronic disease mm. so let's imagine that um, I could just use an example let's imagine that I'm a, a type 2 diabetic patient who has um, increased inflammation and one of the th- and w- but with no reference to to what's happening in my mouth because mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. um, is there a component and, and we know in the science that if I work on bringing inflammation down um, that that is going to have a what we call a bi-directional effect on the mouth mm-hmm. and the answer to that is absolutely yeah the science is, is pretty clear about that so particularly type 2 diabetes there seems to be this very bi-directional um, like relationship like yeah so um, we can definitely do that but we can also just do I, I like to Many of the, these aspects are really about how do we how do we get people, number one, to be aware of things first? Mm-hmm. Because a, a, exactly like me at 45, absolutely no awareness on that. Mm-hmm. And again, I should be someone who knows what's going on. Um, so you, 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 number one, you've got to be aware. Uh, and then number two, you've got to upset that, you know, life is pretty time pressured and probably a little bit more stressful than it needs to be. And, and behaviours take time to change. Yeah. The only study that I have ever found on how long does it take to change behaviours... Um, show that on average it takes about 65 days to change one behaviour to become permanent. But for some people, it takes nearly a year, two-thirds of a year. I
1: thought it was 21 days to break on that habit. Well,
2: 65 on on the science that I look at on average. Now, the key about that, and again, this is another important point, is that it's a bit like we sort of jump into making us try to make ourselves really healthy and we jump in really, uh, really quickly and we try to overdo things and you know, we're expecting incredible results in, in six to eight weeks. Mm. And of course, if we look to six to X weeks, as far as time frame, it's not even close to 65 mm. and some people are going to take 234 um, days to, to make the changes. So my point about that is that we've got to give ourselves a bit of a break mm. and we've got to upset that, you know, uh, as that the i suppose the 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 um, conclusion to that study was uh, if you if you first you don't succeed, just try trying again because mm. you know that's w- what we're clear about and well, some people
1: progress isn't linear like it's okay absolutely to... not
2: no that is uh, so it's a great point it's not and it's always uh, it's always an up and down mm. um pathway but it's a question of what I like about the ability to use a um a clinically proven toothpaste that um, I think more naturally um, r- represents um, aspects of how the body l- looks after looks after the mouth and mm-hmm. and the uh, and and the environment within the mouth is that number one, it's been clinically proven. So if, so if you look at Xendium, for instance, it's been clinically proven in studies. Mm but i think number 2 it it's a, it's a behavior that everyone does mm. so it's it's not like we we need to nudge you into new behaviors mm. it's something that everyone has always done and in and, and in in many ways it's it's not a conscious choice that we need to make because mm. everyone clean as, far as as far as i know everyone well that's probably as far as i know there there's bound to be some people who don't clean their teeth but but everyone cleans teeth, their teeth, cleans their teeth. Be- be-
1: be- and we've made cleaning our teeth quite fashionable and, and I say fashionable I mean you've got I mean how many adverts do you see for toothpaste when you're sitting down to watch evening this, TV and it's like don't use a manual brush use an electric because you're not getting and you see all of this um, visualisation all these graphics of your plaque not being removed and it and it just adds a sense of worry and actually if you're brushing your teeth you're probably and you're making a good choice with the toothpaste obviously as you've mentioned sure. you're probably not doing too badly
2: so it's always a question of um, starting at a baseline and mm-hmm. cleaning your teeth no matter how good or how bad you're, you're choosing to do that. And mm. maybe, you know, even if it's once a year at the dentist and once a year at the hygienist, you are probably doing a bet. you're certainly doing a better job than you were before. Mm. And and so it's a question of building on from there mm. um, and certainly getting some some understanding from, from that perspective. and. Maybe using, as you say, toothpaste that, again, are uh, clinically valid, Mm. uh, which I I think is is important. Um,
1: And also, I don't want to scaremonger, but we have referenced the fact that um, inflammation and and the link between uh, potentially poor oral health and other chronic illnesses such as Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease and the like. And so, like I said, I don't particularly want to scaremonger, but if your oral health is... At its best, are instances of those happening likely to reduce?
2: You would you would make the assumption yes, and that's what the science science suggests. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I suppose again the easiest way to think about this, and and this r- runs onto what happens um, lower down on the GI tract as well, is that we have this we have this border we talked about it at the beginning, yeah. and this border needs to be. Um, It needs to allow goods in that are beneficial for us, but it also needs to stop um, potential um, goods that maybe are not beneficial for us. Right. Um, So it needs to be structurally sound, um, what we call selectively permeable. So it needs to let things in that it wants, Mm. but control things that it doesn't want. So we need a structurally sound border. And of course, if we're getting bleeding gums or we've got some gun rese- recession, then we would we would expect that our risk on the border structurally is probably not as good as it should be. And that would be things to start thinking about at least. Of course I'm obsessed by it now. Mm. Um, um but then we've got to think about so who are the border control people? And for, for and for, for most of this it is our um good bacteria. Mm-hmm um but we also have specialized um proteins um and um they are used if you like to identify uh, potential problems potential pathogenic bacteria mm-hmm. and other stuff and do something about them mm-hmm. um and that's again is 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 something that um Zendium has done really well they are picking um a couple of um of those border guards that we know Clinically in science are very protective for us, and that 's something else that they 've introduced into their toothpaste so you 're getting if, if you like more border patrol guards right. who can can um, can manage and monitor what 's going on, and that's that 's really important mm. um, so they 've they 've taken a combination of understanding. Um, what are the, if you like, some of the main protectors, particularly that we get from a point of view of what saliva produces? Mm. And they've managed to amalgamate that into a toothpaste that's, that looks really sound. Yeah.
1: Well, Pete, thank you so much, because I'm really glad that we got the chance to talk about this in some detail. I I really didn't understand the mouth-body connection was quite as profound as it is, I think, because I, there's been so much focus on the gut But um, I'm really delighted that you took the time to come and explain it to to me and to my, obviously, my most excellent listeners. So thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And the links to Pete, to everything that we've discussed, will obviously be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But for now, thank you, Pete Williams from uh, Functional Medicine Associates
2: uh, for joining me. Thank you, Emma.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that it's so easy to get in touch with me. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Twitter and Instagram, where I'm at Emma Gunns. If you'd like to chat to me and thousands of fellow listeners to The Emma Gunns Show, then click the link in the show notes and join the Facebook forum, answer three questions, agree to the forum rules, and you'll be welcomed with open arms. And incidentally, that link, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode, is also the point, the place where you can subscribe, leave a five-star review, and maybe even a couple of sentences about what you've enjoyed about the show. And I would be utterly grateful if you would. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one.